Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome to this week's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. I hope you and your loved ones are hunkering down and staying safe in the middle of this continuing coronavirus crisis. And that's again the number one story of the week with still so many questions. A few states are allowing some businesses to reopen this weekend. Are they acting too soon? Congress approves another $485 billion package to help small businesses. Is that enough to keep them from going under? And why did so many big businesses and major chains get first dibs on the last round of government checks? Donald Trump's approval numbers sink over his muddled handling of the coronavirus. Will this be the deciding factor in the 2020 elections? So many questions, so let's jump right in and get some answers from today's panel. Hannah Trudeau joins us. Coming back on the Bill Press Pod, political reporter for Daily Beast. Hello, Hannah. Hello. Thank you for being there with us. I should add, we are all um, social distancing, uh, joining each from each each other's homes <laughs> on the Bill Press Pod today. Jason Dick, deputy editor of CQ Roll Call. Hello, Jason. Morning, Bill. And Sudeep Reddy, managing editor of Politico. Hello, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. So um, just putting things in perspective for today's conversation, uh, check the numbers this morning. We are coming to you, by the way, uh, joining at about 8.30 on Friday morning uh, two, with 2.7 million cases of coronavirus now nation, uh, worldwide, 888,000 in the United States, some 50,000-plus deaths in the United States, and 26 million Americans filing for unemployment insurance. That is one out of every six Americans out of work. Um, and friends, at a time of any crisis, whether it's Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Sandy, uh, the Great Recession, uh, historians will look back at presidents and say, uh, gauge how well they handled that particular crisis. When historians look back at this president and this crisis, what will they? What will their take be? Hannah, what do you think? Oh gosh, wow! I, I think uh, they're going to look back in confusion, uh, like like we all are on a daily basis. I mean, one of the things that's so interesting right now to witness day to day is kind of the three prong. Uh, different approaches, like you mentioned in in your opening remarks, uh, the the governor's responses across the country uh, in contrast to Trump's response and also in contrast to Democrats' response uh, broadly. You know, we were in the middle of a presidential election. It's sometimes hard to remember that given all of this, but I think it's all intertwined. So I think kind of trying to make sense of those different three components and how they all 
um, impact ultimately. I mean, leading up to November, it, it's it's hard to think of it in such a political context. But of course, um, you know, the Trump administration has done just that when addressing this on a day to day basis. So I, you know, that's how I think of it when I when I look at it every day. And I think it's it's confusing for for people to have such a disconnected uh, federal response from state to state, and then um, you know, on on the on the sheer politics end of it, uh, from the presidential sort of uh, campaign side of it. And Sudeep, uh, looking at the president particularly and his leadership of this on this issue, um, Hunter Walker, our good friend, asked the president a few weeks ago, how do you rate your performance? He said, I'd give myself a 10. Do you think historians will? Well, I don't know that historians are going to have a, a scale to uh, to assess <laughs> uh, yeah. what this uh, what this performance uh, is like. I'm thinking a lot back to uh, the period before the Great Depression, um, the the Herbert Hoover years, when uh, a president uh, really um, faced a crisis that had been building up. Uh, for years. This one, uh, you, you could argue, has been building up for years in terms of preparedness. Um, but then the question is, what do you do in the moment? Do you go all in uh, the way uh, George W. Bush uh, did and make it your, your singular mission? Trump is obviously trying to do that, fighting the invisible enemy, trying to be the one uh, to deal with it. But I think historians will look back at, uh, at this period with a fair amount of befuddlement, trying to understand how day to day the messaging can change. The messaging about whether the federal government is in charge or state governments in, are in charge uh, can change within 48 hours. The messaging about uh, the, the treatments, hydroxychloroquine, or uh, in, a, in a development even I could not have imagined, uh, disinfecting, uh, using disinfectant in your system, which is uh, obviously not a wise thing to do. All of these developments, I think people are going to look back on and just uh, kind of scratch their heads. But this chapter uh, is is not yet uh, fully written because we have to see how bad it gets and uh, what the aftermath looks like. What do you think, Jason? Thumbs up, thumbs down. So um, I, w I would say this. I, I used to teach uh, English uh, as, uh, you know, I mean, this is uh, this is a an audio uh, medium. But the, for those of us who can see each other, you can see all the books uh, in, in my background. Like this is uh, this is the sort of the approach that I take for a lot of uh, this. And I, I studied rhetoric at one point um, when I was getting my master's degree in English. And I, I think about the way that people deliver messages. And I think Sadiq is right that there's there's just some confusion. Um, I mean, that's that's the most charitable way to say how the messaging is going. And I mean, there's there's the messaging, and then there's also the the delivery and what is being done. But I, you know, I think back to just yesterday, uh, yesterday's briefing, where you know the president was asked about different governors and and, he, uh, and and their plans to reopen. And you know, today Georgia has said that they're going to reopen beauty salons and. Um, bowling alleys, tattoo parlors, barbershops, and so forth. And the president went on this, like, just this tangled, you know, grammatical nightmare about whether he was in charge or whether they were in charge or whether he, they would have the authority to do things. Or And he wasn't happy with people, but they have to do what they're going to do, but they're not going to do that if he doesn't want them to do it. And it was just like, I, I mean, it was it was absolutely stunning to, to see it. it and, like some sort of absurdist comedy 
and and I just and I thought like it's but it's not funny because people are dying and people are trying to figure out what to do and you know we kind of laugh about the whole bleach thing about like his musing about whether you can inject bleach into people's lungs but somebody's going to be stupid enough to do that and and that's that's the problem and and it's because it's coming from the president Right. In terms of muddled message, and I think each one of you mentioned this as the latest example, we have the sound. This is the president of the United States in the briefing room. This week he suggested that sunlight would be a great cure, maybe, for the coronavirus, that laser beams pointed inside the body might be a good cure for the coronavirus. Uh, and also that disinfectants. After all, if you can use Lysol to wipe down the, the counters to kill the, the, the virus, why not just have a good glass of it to start your day? Here's the president in the briefing room. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs so it'd be interesting to check that so that you're gonna have to use medical doctors with but it sounds it sounds interesting to me so we'll see but the whole concept of the light the way it kills it in one minute that's uh, that's pretty powerful uh i'm not sure it kills it or kills you in one minute um for the record the head of the company that makes Lysol put out a statement yesterday saying, quote, under no circumstances <laughs> should anybody drink Lysol. <laughs> and, uh, and this is the problem, right? I mean, like that he says these things and, and, you know, his apologists will say like, oh, that's just Trumping Trump. Mm. He's just like kind of talking off the cuff. But then people like serious people who are trying to keep people alive and keep like a disease, a pandemic under control have to take time away from this and say like no you shouldn't drink bleach no you shouldn't yeah. like shoot yourself with a laser beam you know i mean things like and it's just like it's mind-boggling that like professionals have to sort of backtrack and say like no you can't do that or no we don't have a vaccine things like you know, that having <laughs> watched every moment of every briefing since this started um this was a, a particular one that that uh, obviously got my attention uh and where my hand went like right over my mouth in kind of like disbelief when he started saying it but i in that moment really knew what was going on in his mind. Um, the, the president uh, has not uh, ever really been able to find the vocabulary for what he's thinking in, in any particular moment. A lot of words come out. And what he was thinking in that moment is a lot of what he's been saying since the beginning of this crisis of hoping that there is some kind of, of miracle cure, hoping there's some way to deal with this. And uh, he might have been, been thinking maybe there are other kinds of drugs that we can uh, we can inject into our system. Maybe there are other things. The word disinfectant is obviously not the right thing uh, to 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 put in. And uh, the idea that sunlight, like within your body, like everyone's going to be in like a tanning bed to deal with this, which isn't like that. That's not like actually how you deal with this. But um, he was he was in that moment thinking, well, like maybe there's something here that can actually help us treat it instead of just taking the guidance from the scientist he was standing next to on face value, which was that sunlight will have some effect on killing the virus in the summer. But, but Hannah, 
a, a point that <laughs> no i mean i thought i the... find it an interesting train of thought it's very it's i agree with sudeep on that definitely yeah i mean hana i mean uh, <laughs> phil phil rucker phil rucker from the washington post tried to point out to the president yesterday this is not like a rumor factory here. You are the president of the United States speaking to the American people from the White House. Yes. And when he just goes when he just goes off on these wild ideas, um yeah, it's funny, but it's also pretty, pretty yeah. scary. I mean we, right? we keep hearing we've heard since the beginning of um of the, the election and, and last election, you know, twenty sixteen. We've heard people say time and time again, words matter, words matter, you know, and that a lot of that is is um, sort of more abstract or things that he says that might be offensive to people or or something along those lines. But um, when it's a very specific health precaution, I think it really and, you know, this is an obvious thing to say, but it really amplifies um, the importance of the president of the United States words. And I think, um, you know, I'm not a White House correspondent. I don't cover the Trump administration, but even looking at it from the other um, covering the other side of the aisle, it's it's fascinating because um, when you see Democrats attempt to respond to Trump on a daily basis, uh these are it's it's almost like low hanging fruit to to pull out these kinds of things. Private, of course, a lot of Democrats, whether it be on the Hill or, or strategists or um, campaign officials, they'll often say, you know, well, we don't we don't need to respond to every you know silly thing that Trump says or whatever. But to me, I mean, this is different. The, the vantage point that I'm looking at the, the all of this from to make a very serious and swift um, public health contrast that, again, should be obvious, but is perhaps necessary um, as a counterweight to the president's own words, because it's certainly not going to come, um, you know, from from Republican apologists or from those who, um, yeah, might say, oh, that's just Trump being Trump. And he's, you know, to Sudeep's point, um, he couldn't quite find the words get across what he was trying to say, that type of thing. But I, I do think it's different. And I do think on the messaging front, I mean, it can provide a real contrast in terms of uh, the public health implications to, to these kinds of statements. Well, the real contrast, I think, has come from uh, the nation's governors, for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, and that gets us to the question about when things can or should reopen. Um, Jason, you mentioned Georgia. Here's one case where, uh, uh, and, and it's not just along party lines, right? Some Republican governors are really hanging tough, Larry Hogan in Maryland. And uh, Mike, Mike DeWine mm -hmm. in Mike Ohio. DeWine, right. uh, in Ohio. Um, other Republican governors, South Carolina, and particularly in Georgia, have said, no, we're going to basically start reopening right now uh, with some limitations. But um, who's in charge, Jason? So, um, again, like what, what we were saying from the briefing yesterday, like Trump will say he, he's in charge and then he'll say that but the governors are in charge. And I think that that's part of the, the danger of of not knowing what the clear lines of authority are. And, you know, somebody like Mike DeWine, you know, a former senator, uh, you know, former attorney general. I mean, he, he's he's not playing. You know, I mean, like he he he's also like has the benefit of being like, you know, this is probably the last stop on my career. I'm in my 70s and and uh, and my my job is to keep my, you know, state safe. 
And I think that, you know, somebody like Kemp and I, and I apologize for, for trying to divine what people are, are thinking. Uh, but Kemp probably sees like, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to keep, you know, like my, my state safe, but also keep the, the president happy. And he did what he thought was the right thing to do and that Trump would agree with. And then all of a sudden, you know, Trump turns on him this week. So yeah. the, it, it isn't clear. I mean, like certainly, you know, governors, you know, have a lot of sway in their states, but I, I just, I don't think that I, I can't help but think that if, you know, some, some municipality in, in uh, Georgia says like, no, we're not going to reopen. I don't think that he's going to send like the state troopers there to reopen the tattoo parlors, you know, or right. something like that. Well, I was going to ask about uh, Sadiq about the tattoo parlors. Would would they ever be on your list of essential businesses? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're, they're... And, and bowling alleys. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you want to really stick your fingers in a bunch of, of bowling balls that everyone else has stuck their fingers in? Um, I, I I can't imagine they're even economically uh, significant. Um, on a macro level, but on a micro level, I think what we're, we're obviously seeing is, is demands by certain businesses, uh, certain types of people who are more willing to take risks. Uh, and it's a, it's a live free or die moment. Like who really wants to go out there, um, should be able to go out there. There, there's an, an alternate, uh, parallel universe, uh, that we could have seen over the last six weeks. And that's everything staying open. And allowing yeah. people who wanted to go around into the world, let them go out into the world and see who lives and who dies, a dar Darwinistic approach to it. The reason we didn't do it as a country is it would have overwhelmed the healthcare system and uh, killed a lot more uh, innocent people. But we're now heading into into that path uh, to some extent where there are, there are people, fron frontiersmen, who are going to uh, go out into the, into the uh, nation and some of them are going to do dangerous things. And we'll have some control groups to see what happened. And there were uh, there were cases just this week. The 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 uh, mayor of Las Vegas mm -hmm. arguing mm -hmm. that she wanted her city to be the control group. And you think like, is that really what they voted her in for? But um, but this is this is what happens after uh, a, a, a month of this uh, when you're when you're locked down. People start uh, feeling uh, like their risk tolerance. Uh, goes up substantially. And, and right. Bill, we, we might have a control group in, in Congress. You know, the, the House uh, yesterday, uh, all right. but about 30, 35 of them showed up to vote on this latest uh, relief package that you mentioned at the, at the top of the podcast. And, um, you know, a lot of people were adhering to social distance and, and the guidance from the Sergeant at Arms and the Office of the Attending Physicians. Uh, and wearing gloves and masks. And then you had this contingency of people uh, like Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise, who's the you know the minority whip, no gloves, no masks, and they're the thing is is that the, I mean they may feel uh, bulletproof, but they don't know what effect they're having on other people, and and it was really disheartening to see this um, you know that that even this we can't agree on that everybody in you know in in defying CDC guidance and gathering uh, gatherings of ten or more. Not everybody is going to wear a mask or wear gloves, and right. you know we may end up with more infections. I mean, we've, there there have been some instances where some of these protests, you know, they, they see spikes in the local population infections because um, it's just you know you're taking people from somewhere else, putting them together, and then taking them back, and it's just like it's a classic disease vector. Right. So they came back to vote for a very lopsided vote. 
uh, to approve uh, the fourth kind of stimulus package to respond to the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Uh, this $484 billion, of which some $350 billion is additional money for small businesses. Um, Hannah, is this the end of the road, or um, there's likely to be even more money, more big spending bills on this? How, what's it that's like? hard. I mean, that's hard for, for me to say, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't think it's the end of the road. I mean, there's there's been a lot of twists and turns so far, so I think we're just going to see a long um, slog ahead on this. You know, I mean, it, again, like just the, the, the consistency of everything being inconsistent uh, you know, like just the, the sort of breaking down of the norms, the the mixed messaging among Hill members, um, you know, with masks and with not without wearing masks and things like that. I mean, this is just these are just puzzle pieces um, in a longer slog ahead. I mean, this is certainly going to go on months and months, you know, I don't, not necessarily the, the spending aspect of it, but, um, you know, certainly the divide within within Congress and within uh within the White House. So, no, I, I don't expect it to, you know, end anytime soon. And, and Sudeep, the, one of the reasons that the, um, that the original PPPE, if that's what it's called, uh, ran out of money uh, for the small businesses was because it wasn't just small businesses that uh, had, their, had their hands out. We found out Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, right? <laughs> got a huge, some big coal mining operation. I got eight million dollars, I think, out of this. How did the how did, who was in charge, right? So I thought, again, this was directed to small businesses. I think less than five hundred people, maybe employed, and right. some of these big chains ended up getting all kinds of money. Shake Shack, at least they gave their money back. So when when this was launched, there were the the tears of the economic rescue. Uh, it, it seemed like a lot of money when you were talking about $2.2 trillion in the largest package, uh, a giant chunk of money for airlines at the top, the biggest businesses, a giant chunk of money for individuals, uh, mm -hmm. a giant chunk of money for small businesses, and some loans for medium-sized businesses. And in all of that, you would think, oh, well, this is small businesses might need a million dollars here or there, uh, even less. And uh, I don't think people fully recognized the scale when they were passing this uh, of this situation lasting um, for a number of, of weeks as it has. And they certainly um, didn't really think through the, the ramifications as they designed it, uh, because uh, the, the messaging early on was this is just going to going. This is a, a direct transfer to the individuals who work at these places. We'll be saving money on unemployment benefits when we pay this out. But now that you're getting to the point where. Uh, Republicans, quite surprisingly, are putting a dollar cap on how much they're willing to spend. I I uh, thought that Republicans in this moment to save the election would open uh, the coffers and just keep spending in the coming months because austerity is the thing that will kill the economy further. Like they they learned that what uh, giving Barack Obama the austerity treatment uh, after the the Great Recession, and uh, instead they're giving it to themselves uh, right now. So. Uh, this is like the the political equivalent of drinking bleach. 
Um, this is uh, what they're doing by deciding, okay, well, this is it. We're not going to give any more money. We're going to let the companies fail. And Mitch McConnell is playing a hard hard line with states as right. well, saying uh, we're not going to give the states money. We need them to open. We, that's what we want next. So uh, yeah. he's kind of dangling that in front of everyone. No, I was going to go there, uh, Jason, with Mitch McConnell. The ultimate example is McConnell saying to states, basically drop dead. Right. You know? No, you no. Can, it, yeah, it is. It does, it does uh, make you think of that classic uh, – uh, New York Post, uh, uh, his post to the news uh, when when Gerald Ford said that he was not going to provide New York City with a lifeline in its mm-hmm. bankruptcy problems in the seventies, and it was the the that great headline: uh, Ford to New York, drop dead. Uh, I I I do not think that that will last. You know, I mean, McConnell uh, just sort of breezily suggested that uh, states and localities uh, file for bankruptcy. Uh, on uh, Hugh Hewitt's show, and uh, you know, I think uh, uh, Hewitt kind of makes everybody relax or something, and say things that they wouldn't <laughs> normally say. You know, with his dual set tones about how great Nixon is and so forth, uh, and and it and it just shocked everybody because they're like, hey, you know, the the economy's like sort of bedrock principle is that government may run up a lot of debt, but it eventually does, you know, pay it, the, its bondholders. And so if you're saying that like governments are not going to be paying uh, their bonds, that that could like wreck, that could have a, like a wave effect on the economy. And I mean, we'll get to that stage of the analysis at some point, mm-hmm. but the first thing was just, you know, Republicans, Democrats, everybody, anybody who is in charge of something saying like, what? <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're going to well, tell me to file bankruptcy. Like you just spent $3 trillion and you're, you're telling me to, I'm going to, you know, bankruptcy. And you, as you said, like Ruth Chris, you know, get, gets a loan, but I don't like Mitch. So I think that we'll see within the next couple of weeks, right. the development of some kind of another relief package that's going to head to the States. Uh, just one quick point there. Jane Mayer, who wrote a, a great profile of uh, Mitch McConnell in the last uh, current edition of the New Yorker magazine, uh, I heard her point out yesterday on, on with Terry Gross that Kentucky's budget is 40% federal money. 40% of Kentucky's entire budget is federal money. So that when he says <laughs> no more money for uh, states, <clears throat> Kentucky may be... Uh, have, <clears throat> Think differently about that, the people of Kentucky at any rate. Uh, on the coronavirus front, um, great conversation. Uh, let's take a quick break and then look at the political side of things. As Hannah reminded us, there is still a 2020 election going on. Uh, this is the Bill Press Pod, our roundtable today with Sadiq Reddy from Politico, Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call, Hannah Trudeau from The Daily Beast. Uh, let's take a quick break. And today's roundtable brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers, a a very important moment. I take time out to give credit to and to thank America's teachers, particularly in this time of crisis. They are working harder than ever under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten, not only doing online teaching, but helping prepare house uh, lesson plans for those students, uh, all of whom, of course, are at home, uh, helping out their parents but also providing individual counseling to parents. Uh, This is a time of crisis for America's schools, and the teachers are leading the way uh, out of it. We appreciate their good work more than ever uh, and thank them for not only their leadership in this community, but their their support of the Bill Press Pod. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? 
maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. And the roundtable, uh, back for a quick look at uh, the political front with Hannah Trudeau from the Daily Beast, Jason Dick from Roll Call, and Sudeep Reddy from Politico. So, Hannah, where is Joe Biden? Yeah, so <laughs> Joe Biden is uh, ostensibly in his William Wilmington, Delaware basement, uh, where he's been for the past almost a month now. Um, I was at his last public event with him in, in Delaware before he went under lockdown. Um, with everybody else here. But, you know, he's he's trying to make the most of uh, the messaging uh, campaign against Trump. His advisors, his campaign uh, officials know that it's an uphill battle because of the, you know, two hour daily press briefings that that Trump is has you know afforded himself. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the part of the challenge for Biden's campaign is just figuring out a way to strike the right tone the right balance and just get out there um, virtually obviously enough to combat Trump's um, bombarding of, of of the press and the public every day and I think that that's been a, a source of frustration among you know many people on the campaign front but it's not to say that they're not doing anything I mean he's he's holding regular press briefings virtually from that basement studio he's doing virtual fundraisers um he knows that he has an uphill battle on that front again competing against the rnc and the trump campaign's um sort of vast war chest so he's doing the things that any other uh democratic presumptive democratic nominee would be doing it's just not breaking through in the way that um a lot of officials on his on his campaign are, are hoping that it that it would. And, and and I think they're still struggling to figure out the best medium to, to get that across when cable news is clearly not going to be their their avenue for this. Um, but he is out there virtually. <laughs> could he do uh, Sudeep, could he do any more than he's doing? You know, Joe Biden uh, has to wait. That's the hardest part. A lot there's a lot of pressure on him to do a lot more now. Obviously, he needs to raise money to uh, to run ads, but he's got uh, super PACs backing him that are going to have uh, an assault of attack ads. Uh, the, there are so many unknown questions right now. Um, uh, the, the Trump talking about disinfectant and sunlight and all that um, is is uh, better than than. Uh, opposition advertising right now, better than attack ads for Joe Biden. And so letting that play out is key. What we, we really don't know is, is, uh, is there a chance that we're going to have a miracle in the summer, summer where this calms down, where you get 
uh, a, a bounce back in the economy uh, where you might have developments on a vaccine that's so far are, are elusive. That is what Trump is praying for right now. And Joe Biden can't do anything if those things happen. Like there's nothing to, to, mm-hmm. to guard against there. But then, of course, his secret weapon um, is going to be what happens in September Octo- in October when Barack Obama comes out and uh, guns blazing. Uh, goes on the attack better than Joe Biden ever could. And uh, that that is going to resonate. And they're obviously saving that up uh, for the moment when it matters, when turnout matters uh, later in the year. So, Jason, uh, Joe Biden is getting a little bit of help from other quarters. Uh, the Lincoln Project, uh, a group of disaffected Republicans who still believe there's a chance to rebuild the true original Republican Party uh, by getting rid of Donald Trump. Uh, Rick Wilson, George Conway, uh, uh, and others leading that effort are out with a uh, with an ad this week uh, for Joe Biden against Donald Trump. Uh, pretty strong. Here's what it sounds like. So the Trump campaign wants to talk about China. Let's do it. On the day President Trump signed his new Buy American, Hire American executive order, there are new questions involving his daughter's business and China. And the identities of the Chinese companies Ivanka Trump's brand does business with have become more secretive than ever. Ivanka Trump is not commenting after China issued new trademarks for her fashion brand. The Associated Press reports the Chinese government granted her company three new trademarks on April 6th. Hours later, she dined with the Chinese president at her father's Mar-a-Lago resort. Why would China do this? Because they know Ivanka is just like her father, for sale. Trump 2020, making China great again. Whoa, so you attack Bo Biden, we'll go after Ivanka Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I question the kind of the effectiveness of of these sort of ads. I mean, I'm I'm with Sadiq that like the, the best opposition ads that could ever be run are Trump's briefings from the White House, you know, like what, and, and I, I just, I think that, you know, we go through this every, you know, every few cycles where somebody sews up the nomination pretty quickly uh, and then they get to coast. Um, and, and if they're not the incumbent, it, they sort of disappear uh, from, mm-hmm. from view. Um, I, I think that the, you know, that, that is something that the Biden has to figure out. He would have had to figure that out if we were in, you know, a normal election cycle, not a pandemic one. Um, but I think that in, in this case, I mean, the, the opinions about Trump are so baked into the to the public that I don't know if anything could possibly change anyone's mind about it at this point. Uh, so, you know, Biden can coast, save save his reserves, you know, wait for, you know, to call in uh, the Obama the and uh, and then, you know, we'll see what happens in, in October and November. Right. Uh, and of course, the question uh, that we've uh, discussed before is uh, things might really be different. We might not even have a national political convention <laughs> this year. We There's might that. just have virtual conventions. Yeah. I know. I have not made my hotel reservation for Milwaukee yet. And uh, Don't tell the DNC I, that. <laughs> I know, yeah, I, I know. Hey, guys, thank you so much for your time today. Jason Dick from Roll Call and Sudeep Reddy from Politico. Hannah Trudeau from the Daily Beast. But we won't let you go. There must have been one story this week that captured your attention, coronavirus-related or not. Um, Sudeep, why don't you start us off with your favorite story of the week? You know, mine was uh, was both a story, which is how I saw it, but also a viral tweet and video. It was the California uh, TV news reporter who was 
doing a segment on hairstylists from her bathroom and uh, ended up uh, uh, filming in the mirror behind her uh, her husband in the shower. Um, it was uh, it was one of those viral things that I think just captured the absurdity of the lives we're living through right now, where you saw it and you thought, no, did that just happen? You're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. That happens. Uh, and it's perfect local TV and also a, a business story and a, a life story for us in this moment. Yeah, I like that. Hannah, how about you? What caught your attention? Yeah, mine mine was um, an interesting Q&A that I read uh, in The Atlantic yesterday with uh, Bernie Sanders' former press secretary. Uh, her name is Brianna Joy Gray. And the reason that it caught my attention um, was because she's become kind of an interesting figure in, in the election world. Um, she, unlike her boss, uh, Bernie, did not endorse uh endorse joe biden and kind of has been on yeah. this public yeah. media tour oh, yeah, she has um right. yeah yeah and so she's just been a fascinating figure for me to uh to follow from from sort of the uh the the left perspective on this and you know it's interesting it just got my my attention because it's interesting uh i don't recall a time when um anybody asked a press secretary who they were endorsing in general and so I, it's kind of absurd that like um you know a, a one press sec secretary uh of which there were almost two dozen in terms of every contender that ran um is getting this much attention but she kind of outlined in an interesting way uh in this in this atlantic q a the reasons why she she doesn't feel uh that that the progressive movement um is 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 should be backing biden um of which you know she's a member and also just the sort of broader themes um you know she she went on to say it was kind of almost insulting to us to uh believe that some of these concessions that biden has given uh, to, you know, to the progressive wing of the party um, are enough. And so, uh, you know, I just, and she, she was a former journalist, a left, left-leaning journalist at The Intercept, and she's just a fascinating figure. And um, it was kind of a fun read on top of uh, a lot of heavy stuff this week. Okay, we'll check that out. Jason, what caught your attention? So I, I don't normally plug stuff from um, the, the outlet that I work for, but I, I do have to put in uh, just a word for this amazing um, feature story by one of my colleagues, Clyde McGrady. I didn't have anything to do with editing it. Uh, it, it was not it was not my idea. It was Clyde's. Uh, but Clyde is from um, is from South Georgia, and he uh, has a lot of family in Albany uh, down, down in uh, South Georgia, which is just one of the, you know, sort of uh, coronavirus hot mm -hmm. spots. It's a small, you know, it's a fairly small community. It's not New York City. I think it's, you know, it's like the, the county is about 100,000 or something like that. But um, but Clyde called his friends and relatives and 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 uh, and he talked to pastors in the area. He talked to Sanford Bishop, who's the member of Congress who represents the area. Uh, he talked to mayors. He, he did this very deep dive into what's happened in Albany, how it's affected uh, the, the people there, how it happened. Uh, he gets into a lot of aspects of, of African-American um, culture, Southern culture, and the common culture that we have right now, which is the pandemic culture. And it's just a great read. I mean... Mm -hmm. It's, it's, on yeah, it's, it's something roll call, it, it's CQRollCall.com, it, right? Yeah, it, th this is a, actually, this is on just on RollCall.com. Okay. Uh, and Clyde's one of our Heard on the Hill reporters. And it's just a, it's just a great read. Uh, if you just, yeah, if people want to see, uh, I'll, I'll put it on the, uh, in a tweet uh, once, once we get the podcast up, but it's RollCall.com. Okay. All right, great. And uh, my own favorite story, I, I kind of go back to where Sudeep was in terms of 
a lot of people are doing videos from home, right? Some funny, some not, sending them out there. Uh, and I happened to come across one uh, from by Senator Mark Warner from Virginia. I don't know whether any of you have seen this. It is absurd beyond belief. For some reason, Senator Mark Warner decided that he had to show, I don't know, he's a man of the people, he's at home, and he's going to cook lunch. And so he decides he's going to make a tuna melt. Uh, and this is the food for every, every American. And I'm going to show you how to do it, he says. And he, so number one, the idea that he would find it important to put, to tell us all how to make a tuna melt, I find kind of bizarre. Secondly, the tuna melt that he makes is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he uses white bread, right, wonder bread. Um, he puts probably two cups of mayonnaise on the slices of bread. And so much mayonnaise, you can't believe it. And then he takes a can of chicken of the sea tuna, which he opens, doesn't drain, and he takes it right out of the can. He doesn't make up a tuna salad. He takes it right out of the can and puts it on the bread, then puts a slice of cheese on top of it, and then puts it in the microwave for 30 seconds. I mean, I, I can't believe how disgusting it was. And this, so this is Mark Warner's contribution uh, to how we can all survive the coronavirus pandemic. Thank you for nothing. <laughs> That's my word. <laughs> uh, to Mark Warner, but I got, I, I don't think he wants to be known for that. <laughs> Although he did, he did call uh, Amy Klobuchar and tell her that it, that that moment went viral. And she said that he was very proud of, proud of that moment so <laughs> maybe he's maybe he's bragging about it more than we think well he must not be up for re-election for a few years because otherwise <laughs> they would, and i will make that my parting comment my parting shot uh, and our parting word here for the favorite stories of the week thank you a big thank you to jason dick from cq roll call sadiq ready from politico to hannah trudeau from the daily beast and thanks to all of you for listening in remember you've got uh, just a couple of quick jobs before we let you go into the weekend one is to subscribe to the bill press pod if you haven't already done so wherever you're listening to this podcast just pull up the bill press pod click on subscribe that's your first job and then the second is to tell all your friends to do the same uh, that way we can continue to grow the podcast. And thirdly, please follow me on Twitter, at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. I guess there's one other job, too, which is please take care of yourself, stay strong, stay safe, wash your hands, and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.